years ago when I was in seminary, I um, had a, a, a year-long course called field education, but what it meant was I met um, on a regular basis with uh, the pastor of the church that we were attending, um, who was one of the field ed supervisors, and she she would uh, meet with me and talk about the sorts of things I was doing in that church and, and just kind of all the things you do kind of as you're learning to be a pastor. And one day we were having this conversation. I don't remember the topic, but somehow or other, I, I, I used the word morality. And I guess that's a no-no for preachers. Um, so she said, she, she recommended that instead of saying morality, I say ethics. Because, because of the obvious reason, which is that Christians have used morality as a club to beat people up with for a long time. And so if we change the word, people won't realize what we're doing. So, um, so, so that was the idea. And I, I think about that every time, every time I come across a passage in the scriptures where, where somebody is telling us what to do with our lives. And, and the more personal and intimate the behavior, the more I feel that. I, I, I don't know if you all bristle at the thought that Paul is telling us what to do, but, um, but in my head, I still hear my, my field ed supervisor telling me, now be careful, you know, because somebody is going to be really, bent out of shape about that. So, so I always think about that. And, um, I, I realize, you know, Christians have this reputation that we have this, um, unhealthy reputation. I left my Bible. Oh, there it is. Too many pulpits. I will edit that out. Okay. So, so Christians have this reputation, um, uh, that we have this unhealthy, uh, obsession with what other people do with their bodies. And, um, I, I understand where that comes from. And I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm not unfamiliar with the idea, but, but I would just encourage people when, when they're looking at a passage like the one we're, we're looking at today in Romans, um, to consider the context in which Paul was writing. Because, because, um, uh, because Paul was writing in a different context. The, the first century in Rome, when he was writing about 58 or 59 AD, Paul wrote to a real church in a real city. And frankly, if we could take a stroll around that city, we would see things that would upset our stomachs. We would see things that would revolt us and and maybe terrify us because because it was a different world. Uh, we would have seen a, a degree of violence, casual everyday violence we we can't imagine. We would have seen we would have seen uh, cruelty to animals. We would have seen cruelty to people because it wasn't just their own bodies. This was a culture that that endorsed and and uh, was a, a firm firm believer in slavery. Um, the way that they they approached uh, sexuality. Um, the way that they approached uh, domestic uh, affairs, including domestic violence, was just uh, to our our modern sensibilities, it was revolting. And so, if Paul is saying something here, um, maybe he's not talking to you. Um, maybe he's talking to someone in in Rome about something there. But but my guess is Paul is talking to you. And if it's if if the things we we hear in today's reading aren't your particular problem. I'd like you, I'd like to give you permission to substitute something else. Because, you know, sometimes a preacher will go through the, they'll find the actual words, you know, Paul talks about, uh, sexual promiscuity and drunkenness, and they'll go look up the Greek, Greek for that and find out what it means. And, and what often happens when the pastor does that, when the preacher does that, is it lets you off the hook. Because it's like, no, I actually don't do that particular thing that Paul's talking about. You know, I've bumped up against the edges sometimes, and, but, but ultimately, no, I don't do that particular thing. And you know, drunkenness, how, how, how drunk do you have to be for it to be drunkenness? You know, you, you get into, you get into questions like that. So, 
<clears throat> so I want to give you permission. If this is not your issue, put your issue in there. And I don't know what that is, but my guess is you do. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, as soon as I started talking about morality and ethics, you know, little, little nudges went off in the back of your head somewhere saying, I hope he doesn't talk about whatever. And I won't, but I want you to think about whatever. So, um, so, uh, that's, that's the idea here. Um, and, um, let me, let me preface this with one, one more kind of, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, shark repellent. Um, w- w- one more, uh, a salve to, to bruised egos. Um, I think oftentimes it's just worthwhile to read the Bible carefully because if you read something in one passage and you say, I'm not sure if I, I like that or it sounds like you, that hit a little close to home, um, realize that you should read the, the whole Bible and not just a piece of the Bible. Um, for example, Paul does talk in here about sexual promiscuity and he talks about, he talks about drunkenness. But if we think about Jesus, remember his first public miracle, the miracle that Jesus chose to use to illustrate who he was. The very first miracle he performed was at a wedding, a celebration of conjugal union. And how did he do it? He did it by creating wine out of water. You know, God made sex. God invented it. God invented alcohol, and he gave them to us to be enjoyed. So I I don't want to come across as a prude. And and the truth of the matter is whenever whenever we're using the things that God gave us to, to our enjoyment, even if we use them in ways they were not intended, even if we are confused about how they should be used, even if we, frankly, abuse them. We are still tied in some connection to the God who gave them to us. C.S. Lewis says that the sins of the flesh are the least bad of all sins. So, with that, what I want to do now is actually see what Paul has to say about about um, about morality. So um, the wedding at Cana, a host always serves the best wine first, uh, the, the uh, master of ceremony said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but now you, but you have kept the best to now. This was the miraculous sign where Jesus first revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, uh, uh, the teaching in the Bible in the light of all the things I've just said. So so Jesus tells us that we can have um, um, an abundant life, that, that the goal for us is to be perfect, not to, not to kind of skate along and, and barely, barely avoid uh, the, the ditch, but, but actually to have a perfect life. And in order to have that kind of life, um, we, should, um, we should change our current life. Now, if your life is perfect, if everything is perfect in your life and you have no troubles, if you think about your relationships, if you think about your attitudes, if you think about your relationship with substances and you say, nope, 100% on every single dimension, then great. You get to relax. You get to sit back and kind of, you know, mentally judge the rest of us. Um, but, um, but I would encourage you just file this away because someday, you know, something may crack and you may, you know, drop down to 98 in one of those dimensions. So, so if that happens, then, um, hopefully something that we look at today will be for you. So, so, um, so, uh, if you want a better life, then, uh, you have to change your current life. We, we talk all the time about how we, uh, our purpose as a church is to help people trust Jesus for a better life. 
And in order to do that, then you're going to have to surrender your current life. So, so that's the, the big idea that we're working with today. And, um, uh, I wanna, I wanna, um, read Paul here fi- finally. So he says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So, so that's, uh, that's what he's saying. He's saying, change what you're doing. Get out of bed, like I told the children. So, uh, you've got to do this, uh, because, because the opportunity to do it is, is drawing to a close. And, um, and that raises the question, is he saying, because Jesus is going to find out what you've been doing, and then he'll be angry at you. Well, Paul answered that a couple of chapters ago. Back in chapter 10, he said, he said, believing in your heart, you, makes you right with God and openly declaring your faith is what saves you. So he says, he says, this is, this is addressed to believers. He's saying, he says, salvation is closer than when you first believed. Paul is talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, again, you know, you can file this away, but if you are a Christian, Paul is talking to you and he's saying, he's saying, salvation is closer than when you first believed. But he said, salvation comes from believing. So this is not about, is Jesus going to send you to the hot place? He's saying, you've already been saved. Now we're going to talk about change. Where, where does change come from? So, so, um, our second point is, um, that, uh, that, um, if you were going to be punished, then you should oversleep it, right? There's nothing you would want to oversleep more than punishment. You, you know, you might, they might go away. So, so if Paul was talking about punishment, he wouldn't use a wake up metaphor because we'd all oversleep. But the other thing is that change is downstream from salvation. That, that what we're talking about here is not being punished, you know, uh, anything like that. It's about how do you actually get to change? And the answer is by having, um, Jesus in our life. Now, how does that look? What does that look like? Well, he's already talked about two reasons we want to change. Back in at the beginning of chapter one, he said, "If what you're doing is illegal, stop." Okay, that's a good idea, and it was a particularly good idea in Rome because justice was swift, and it was uncompromising, and it was often brutal. Remember, we gather here to remember a crucifixion uh, as much as we uh, gather to remember a resurrection. Roman justice was not something you wanted to be subject to, and Paul says, if you're doing something illegal, then stop it. He also says uh, later in the, the chapter, right before our passage, he says that uh, that there is a higher law, that there's another law in addition to Roman law, and that's God's law. And he says, he says, when we love, we fulfill the requirements of God's law. So he's already told us these two things, and now he gives us two more things we might want to consider about what should we change in our lives. He says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. So um, that's that's a, a two different metaphors working at once, and you kind of have to peel them apart. The first one is the, the idea of darkness, and that's not a very uh, troublesome idea, the idea that there's things you'd rather nobody saw you do. That if you, you wouldn't do them out in the main street in the middle of the day, but you're, you're more likely to do them at night, you know, in a dark corner someplace. So, so, um, uh, what might that look like for you? I don't know, you know, check with the Holy Spirit. My guess is, uh, Holy Spirit can tell you exactly what it is. But, you know, maybe it's the things you pay cash for. Maybe it's the stuff you hide in the garage. Maybe it's the reason you clear your browser history. You know, what are the things that you want to keep a secret? What are the things that you would just assume nobody else knew? The the remarks you make that ho- you hope don't get back to you. 
What are those things? That's what Paul means when he talks about darkness. But he also talks about dirty clothes. He says, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Last week, I went to the um, Thanksgiving blessing up at um, Spinard Recreation Center, and uh, uh, my little group was assigned the job of sorting apples. There was these big bins of, of apples, and about one in 10, maybe one in 12 apples was rotten, and some of them were quite rotten. So they gave us little blue gloves, you know, the like surgical type gloves. They gave us blue gloves and said, sort through these. They didn't give us anything for our noses, but, um, but so we're sorting through these things. And, you know, again, most of the apples are good, but we're throwing out the bad ones. And I've never wanted to take off a pair of gloves as badly as I did at the end of that. It was like, you know, they just, you know, ugh, ugh, you know, this is just, just, ugh. So, you know, it was such a great relief when I was able to actually take off the gloves because I kept thinking, you know, I'm going to touch something, you know, I'm going to, Pat my, my, my fanny or something. So, so don't do that, you know. So I'm, I'm thinking it, I just can't wait to get rid of these things. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's the things, it's not how other people see you, it's how you see yourself. It's the things that make you feel dirty. The things that make you feel grubby or icky. So, so the question is, um, is it illegal or unloving? He's already talked about that earlier than, than our passage. Or is it secret or is it grubby? It, it, does it does it make other people? Are you afraid it will make other people think less of you, or is it something where it doesn't even it doesn't even meet your own understanding of who you are? You know, I shouldn't be the kind of person who does that. I don't like to think that I am that kind of person. So, so those are the sorts of questions that Paul's dealing with. He's saying any of these things um, in this passage, and he says he says um, that Jesus can help you if this is if this is your problem then Jesus will fix them. And he says, in fact, Jesus will absolutely fix them. When Jesus returns, he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, he says, none of these things are going into the world to come. That in the age to come, that all the sources of sighing and, and crying and lying are going to be left behind. That there's none of that is coming with us into the, the coming age. He says that's going to happen. Jesus is going to accomplish that. But he says there's good news, which is you don't have to wait. As a believer, you don't have to wait for Jesus to return because we don't know how soon he's coming back. He said he was coming back. Um, he said he was, behold, I come soon. And uh, 30 years later, he hadn't come. And 2,000 years later, he hasn't come. So we don't know when he's coming. Paul simply says, however soon it is, it's sooner today than it was yesterday. So he says, Jesus is coming back. And he says, whenever that is, we don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. Why don't you have to wait? Well, he says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So that's what we're waiting for. But he says, he says that, um, uh, that, um, the, the metaphor, he, he comes back to the metaphor of light and dark. So he says, he says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So if you think of the, the, the image, you know, if you get up and you look to the east, you know, before, before dawn, what do you see? You see, you see the sun is coming up. Well, in Alaska, we look over there, but, um, but this time of year, um, so, so we look somewhere generally east and, um, what do we see? Long before the sun is up, we see that that part of the sky is lighter. And Paul uses that metaphor. He says, he says, eventually everyone will see the sun. It's going to come up. But in the meantime, we who are believers 
can look to the sky. And remember, Jesus is already powerful here on earth. Jesus' power extends to us in the same way the light extends into the sky. He says, he says that the power of Jesus extends to us. So in the same way, if you want to know what direction you're facing, and it's the, it's the middle of the night, you can't really tell. But if you wait until an hour before sunrise, then you can look and say, okay, that is east, or, or maybe that is east. You know, you know that's not east. He says, he says that, that the light of Christ shows us what to do. And he says it also, um, extends into us. It lets us see. It lets us walk around without bumping into things. He says we can govern our behavior in the light of Christ. So he says, he says, um, he says that the light is helpful. He also says, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of light. So he says, um, and, and now here's the objectionable part. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and um, uh, drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, he says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is that, that dirty clothes metaphor. He says, put on something different. He says, he says, put on Christ. He says, you have that suit of clothes in your closet right now if you will only put it on. He says that anyone who is a believer is in Christ. That this is something we have. The problem is we don't use it. The problem is we forget that it's available to us. And so we say, no, I still have to deal with this problem. I, I, I can't, I, I can't not deal with it. It's, it's too powerful. I'm going to have to do this thing. And he says, no, you don't. He says, put on Christ. So how do you put on Christ? How do you put on Christ? Well, we just finished a, um, a series where we looked at um, spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines, how we have a better life. So there's actually six recent messages. If you didn't get them, if you weren't here, you can go listen online. But there, there's the sorts of things you would expect. We pray, we read the Bible, we gather for worship with other people, we we um, we uh, serve in the church and beyond the church. We we um, involve ourselves in the lives of other Christians. We, we work in community with one another and we practice generosity. These are the things we can do to put on Christ. But mostly what we do is we just say, in Christ, I don't have to do that. In Christ, I don't have to be that kind of person. So change happens in the light and in the power of Jesus Christ. And I know it sounds easy. Maybe too easy, but I didn't say it was easy, but I will say it's simple. It's truly that simple. Unless, unless you talk yourself out of it. Paul says, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You say, you know what? I need to save that suit for a different day. Maybe, maybe I'll wear it on Sundays. Um, maybe I'll wear it at the wedding. You know, that, that we, we say, okay, I've got it, but you know, it doesn't apply in this particular circumstance. There's a moral psychologist named um, uh, Jonathan Haidt, and he's he's a, uh, not a believer. He's a he's an evolutionist, and he says he says our ability, our intellectual capacity, evolved so that we could make excuses for ourselves. He says humans are like an elephant and a rider. This is the metaphor he uses. He says. He says the intellect is is um he also says uh, uh we're like a press secretary 
that the press secretary goes out and justifies whatever the president says, right? The president does something and the press secretary goes out and says, what he meant was, or, or here's why that's a good reason or whatever. He says, he says the writer serves at the pleasure of the elephant. The elephant does what it wants. And the writer, the intellect, the intellect basically makes excuses for it and says, well, you know, I was feeling very tired that day, or I was lonely, or, you know, it had been so long, or, you know, it, it comes up with these excuses. And so Paul says, don't listen to it. He says, when, when the elephant starts telling you why you need to do this, don't listen to it and don't start making excuses. Paul says, Paul says, don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires because you will come up with good reasons. They will be utterly convincing and then you will go ahead and do it. Instead, he says, try on Jesus. Just put on Christ. And the thing is, it seems so simple. How could that possibly work? And yet, it does work. And the testimony of it is the fact that that our world has changed. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, an NFL player uh, took a whack at a different NFL player, swung his helmet, and nearly hit him, or maybe hit him. I don't know how hard he hit him. And that guy's out of the out of the the sport for the rest of the season. He's not. He's been suspended. They haven't even said if he'll get to come back next next season, but he's out for the rest of this season. Because that's our mentality. When we when we talk about football, how long does the conversation go before somebody starts talking about traumatic brain injuries? In the Roman world, they would have said, "I think he should have finished that guy. He was down. It was the perfect opportunity. He could have just." pulled his spleen out, right? That was the Roman world. And it has changed. And the way it changed was one Christian at a time. One person trusting Jesus. One person saying, in Christ, I don't have to be governed by that thing. In Christ, I am a new creature. In Christ, I am different. Now, have there been mistakes? Absolutely. There have been mistakes along the way, but there's been undeniable progress as well. So when you find yourself looking at something and saying, you know, that would be illegal, well, don't do that. If it's unloving, don't do that. If it is shameful or if it's embarrassing, don't do that. And how? How do you do that? Remember the dawn. Jesus is returning. And we can see his light already. More than that, we can put it on. We can live in the light. We can live different lives. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, it has been 2,000 years, and it is hard to remember that Jesus is returning soon. But, um, but we see his light we can see the effect that his light has had on the world over the last 2,000 years. And we know that that light is available to us in our own lives, Lord. So we pray that, that when we're, when our, um, uh, little elephant rider is coming up with excuses why we, why we shouldn't try on Jesus right now, that you will convict us by your, your Holy Spirit that what we actually need to do is listen to your Spirit, that we do need to put on Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Jesus gave us um, not only the inner lights of, of our of our own consciences, but 
the community of other Christians who can remind us and hold us accountable. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus himself gave us the gift of communion so we can remember that he is in our lives working invisibly uh, to, to make us who you would have us be. Um, help us to enjoy that that aspect of Jesus as we gather today around this table. We pray all these things to Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.